chapter 1. Uh, Ruth is a, is a wee little book. I've got it on page uh, 276. It's helpful to remember that um, I preached a sermon, I don't know, maybe a, a month ago on the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I, I talked a bit about uh, the time of the judges. So 1 Samuel takes place in the time of the judges. And we're going to read that the book of Ruth takes place in the time of judges. And what you need to know about the time of the judges is that this is just a really terrible time in the history of God's people. Uh, pretty much everything was going badly. God seemed like he was very far away. It, it was a, a dark time. And Ruth chapter 1 uh, gives us some insight into the kinds of things that were going on, the kinds of things that make uh, the time of the judges so hard. Okay, So Ruth chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Uh, in the days when the judges ruled. That's like your cue. This is bad. Um, so in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This is a big deal. Um, Moab and Israel are bitter rivals. Uh, these people hate each other. Uh, you would have to be in a very desperate way to be an Israelite from Bethlehem and move to Israel, okay? This is a, this is a bad situation. Anyway, the, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. <clears throat> and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, uh, died, and she was left with her two sons. Uh, they married Moabite women, uh, which is a, a scandal in its own, because uh, these would have been Jewish boys marrying these foreign women. Um, let's see, so they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they had lived there about 10 years, and then both Malon and Kilion also died. Uh, this is exceedingly bad, okay? And, uh, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So things are stupendously awful at the end of verse 5. And then verse 6, when, she heard, when uh, Naomi heard in Moab <clears throat> that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return uh, to Naomi's home from there. And so with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah, or Israel. And then uh, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, this is kind of a Naomi's coming to her senses moment. Uh, she says, you know what, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Uh, may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me, and may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Uh, basic idea here is uh, it was very bad to be a, a widow or a single woman in an ancient culture. You really needed a, a man in your life, whether it be a, a father or an uncle or a cousin or a husband. Um, and Naomi is heading back to Israel, okay? 
And these are Moabite women, which means they don't have any family. They don't know anybody in Israel. They probably won't be received very well there. It makes a ton more sense for them to go stay in Moab with their own families instead of following Naomi, who's kind of this cursed woman, back to a foreign country. Uh, so she tells them to go back, and then they have this, this big scene. She kissed them, and they wept aloud, and, and, and then they said to her, no, no, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi is insistent. She says, uh, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Uh, return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Um, if, if she had had other sons, then they would have married these girls. Uh, but she didn't. So then she says this. She says, you know, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? Uh, it's, of course, ridiculous. No, no my daughters, it is, more, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And at this they wept again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. And Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so those two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they arrived there, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, could this be Naomi? But she told them, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, by the way. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. When pastors talk about our passage today, they typically uh, talk about the big speech that Ruth gives to Naomi in verse 16. It's kind of this big decision time in the story. Uh, life has been really hard for these two women and then the other one, Orpah. Uh, and as I mentioned just a moment ago, they really need men in their lives. Um, in this ancient culture, that's really their only security as single women. Um, and so Orpah does the sensible thing, and she goes uh, back to her home. Eventually, she's convinced to go back. Uh, but Ruth does not. Instead of leaving, Ruth makes this grand speech to Naomi. And she says, uh, where you go, I will go. 
and where you stay, I will stay, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and, and where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. It's kind of an amazing speech. Um, I've actually heard those same words used as like vows at someone's wedding. They're, they're that good. And, and of course, what makes them so impressive is that uh, they're so confident. <laughs> like there's no conditions. It's not like, you know, I'm going to go with you if, you know, you meet these certain conditions or if you go to a place that I want to go. It's just, I'll go with you no matter what. And, and the speech is so beautiful, it's so full of this sort of faith and this hope and this confidence that it's easy to focus on that speech and fail to notice that the mood of this speech has almost nothing to do with the rest of this chapter. Okay? Um, this speech really comes out of nowhere in chapter 1 of Ruth. Uh, the speech is so inspiring, and it's, it's full of this promise, and it's optimistic, which means it feels like nothing else in the chapter. This chapter is one of the most depressing chapters in the whole Bible. It's, it's really an introduction to this poor woman Naomi's life. And it's been a terrible life. Uh, she's had uh, at least two major famines she's endured, uh, two migrations, two sons died, and her husband. Uh, there's like this dark cloud kind of hanging over all of chapter one. Um, the, the whole story is kind of filled with this very depressing vibe, which makes Ruth's optimism and confidence feel very strange. Um, like, it's almost like good feelings don't really belong here in chapter 1. And, and in that way, I think chapter 1 reminds me of our world, okay, the world we all live in. I think there is a dark cloud hanging over our world. Uh, I mean, last month a jetliner got shot down over Ukraine. And if you, I mean, just wrapping your head around that is hard to do. Um, Iraq is crumbling. It's terrifying to read about what's happening there. Um, or this, you know, Megan brings up this Ebola virus. It's also just like, it's so scary to think about. Um, you've got uh, Syria is just this basket case of a place. And, uh, and of course, our, you know, we've got problems here too in our community. They're not on the same scale, but I think it's fair to say that there's also a dark cloud hanging over a lot of us, right? Um, there, there's addictions here. Um, there's victims of abuse. Uh, there's, there's people, we have family members serving time. Uh, we've got depression and anxiety, all these other things. Uh, we've got parents who are just completely stressed out taking care of their kids. They don't know at all what to do. And then we come to church on Sunday, and Kathy is playing, and the praise team is singing, and, and I'm up here 
preaching and maybe cracking a joke, and it's also inspiring and it's full of promise and, and it's so optimistic. Which means that for a lot of us, church feels like nothing else in our lives. You see, the, the truth of our story today is that Ruth's speech, Ruth's speech is not the emblematic speech of chapter 1. Naomi's is. In, in verse 18, Naomi returns to her homeland in Israel and she delivers one of the saddest speeches in the Bible. Don't call me Naomi. Just call me bitter. Because God has made my life bitter. In some ways, of course, Naomi has earned the right to give that speech. But I was thinking this week about what it would feel like uh, to put yourself in Ruth's shoes. So, like two verses before, Ruth, like, pours out her heart to her mother-in-law in, like, this super inspiring, like, I'm, I promise to be faithful to you, and it's, like, filled with all this love and, and uh, commitment. And the next words out of her mother-in-law's mouth are not like, oh, you know, thank you, Ruth, for believing in me, or like, thank you for, for like, sticking it out with me. I really appreciate that. Like, the next words out of her mouth are, call me bitter. I, I suspect from Naomi's perspective, Ruth's big speech is kind of like uh, one sinking ship captain saying to another sinking ship captain as their boats slip beneath the waves like, don't worry, I'm here to help. You know? The truth is that Ruth's big speech cannot change the fact that Naomi's life has been terrible. And she blames God. She knows that some way, somehow, God could have changed this, but he hasn't. I heard an interview this week. Um, someone was talking about their mother who lived through the Holocaust. And he said, uh, the interviewer asked, her, asked this guy about his mother's belief in God, and he said that she believed in God just enough to be disappointed in him. Sounds like Naomi. She believes in God just enough to be disappointed in him. We want so badly for things to go differently in this world. But sometimes this world looks a lot like Ruth chapter 1. One bad thing sort of piles on top of another, and people like Ruth, who are all optimistic and, uh, and confident and optimistic, people like Ruth seem like they're from another planet. And so my question this morning is this. 
Is there room in our world for hope and confidence and optimism? Is there ever a place in our lives for Ruth's speech and Kathy's playing and, and the praise team's singing? Or is the only authentic response to our world, call me bitter? I think it's an important question because our world is exceedingly cynical. I don't know how many of you are on Twitter, um, but uh, so much of the humor on Twitter is sarcastic. It is biting. The, the humor of choice in our culture is based on the assumption that everybody's a fraud, nobody's sincere, everybody's miserable, and we're all on our own. And so when we gather as believers and say things like, I trust the Lord, or God's got the whole world in his hands. Should people take us seriously? Or should they just assume that we're not paying attention? To answer that question, I think you need to notice the very end of our chapter today. You remember that the story started with a famine that brought the family to Moab, and then it shifted again with another famine that brought the family to Israel. So it's famine, famine. But in verse 22, we read, not that there's another famine, but we read that the barley harvest was beginning. The barley harvest was beginning. It's an interesting detail. Uh, you'll, you'll remember that when the famine hit Moab in verse 6, uh, uh, Naomi heard some rumors about Israel's God, right? They, uh, she heard that uh, the Lord was providing for his people. And I don't know if she had any evidence of that, any evidence to support that the Lord was really doing that, but she told Ruth about the same rumor. And they both made a choice. <clears throat> they decided to take a chance and throw their lot in with Israel's God. Now, overall, God has not exactly been a shining figure in this chapter. Uh, Naomi sees him mostly just messing with her, uh, leaving her angry and bitter. But verse 22, the barley harvest. A small detail might just pass right over it. But the barley harvest is the first indication that the rumors of God's goodness might be true. 
And if you know the rest of the story, you know that the story of Ruth may start in a very dark place, but by the end of the story, by chapter 4, there's hope and there's fullness and there's life. And Ruth, Ruth gets a front row seat to watch all of it happen. Ruth will be a witness to God's providence and his kindness. It really does turn out to be a very beautiful story. But Ruth would never have seen any of it. She would never have been a part of it if she had only trusted the skeptics and the pragmatists. If she had done the sensible thing, she would have stayed in Moab with Orpah. She would have assumed that Naomi's God in Israel was just as powerless as her own gods in Moab. No sense making this big move. But Ruth took a chance on Naomi's God. If Ruth hadn't followed Naomi, if she hadn't had a hunch that maybe Naomi's God was different, if Ruth hadn't left behind a safer option in Moab, she never would have seen God take her impossible situation and make it into something beautiful. Our culture puts a very high value on being authentic. Just so long as you are authentically pessimistic about everything. But what if, what if the hope of our Christian community, okay, so the hope that causes Kathy to play and the praise team to sing, and me to preach. The hope that causes Lance to farm, and Andy to teach, and Mary to tell her grandkids about Jesus. What if that hope is not an outlier to our circumstances? What if that hope is a glimpse of things to come? Jesus says that the road to destruction is wide. And uh, many people follow, follow that road. But he says, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Trusting God is often a counterintuitive decision. We can be surrounded by evidence that reinforces our cynicism. And that's where the masses have thrown their lot. And if you don't believe me, get a Twitter account, okay? But Jesus says that there is life for those who take the narrow path. For those like Ruth who take a chance and give up all the micromanaging of their own lives and put their lives instead in God's hands. And Ruth must have felt like a fool putting herself out there. And by the end of the chapter, 
She has nothing but a barley harvest to show for it. <laughs> a barley harvest. Not exactly an earth-shaking miracle, right? But what we'll see in the rest of this story is that Ruth's statement of faith, that confident speech, it may have been strange from the perspective of chapter 1. But when we look at it from a distance, from the perspective of the whole story, we see that Ruth's statement of faith, her hopeful and confident promise to Naomi, was downright prophetic. Now, I know that there's a lot of chapter one kinds of trouble in this world. I have it in my own life. And I believe that God gives us space to lament and to be sad, like Naomi. But when you take a chance on your faith, like Ruth, when you put yourself out there and trust that God really can be a God of hope and abundance. It may feel like a, a narrow and a hard path. Uh, cynicism is safer. Uh, skepticism is easier. But our God promises that there is life down the narrow road. We may not see see it much in chapter 1 or even chapter 2, but God promises a very good ending for those who take that chance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's, uh, let's pray together.